We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all you fine folks on the other end of the speaker. And it's begun. Training camp has started. It is in full swing. You are getting daily updates. Remember, the team practices three times and takes, takes a day off. Just mentally prepare yourself for that. But it's moving. You're seeing all the updates. You're seeing the videos. You're seeing everything flowing through social media. And this is why I just love this time of year. Because things, actual things, just start up now, and there is in where within lies the the problem. Because it's a it's a a tale as old as time. The overreactions to training camp, the downright fights, the mudslinging, the spin pushing, the everything going on is just an an overreaction for the most part. And it's 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 funny to see. It's annoying to see. It makes you just kind of want to step back and go, man, like what the hell is going on and why have all y'all folks already lost your minds? Now, I'm not talking to you guys. I'm just talking to the people you're reading them on social media. I mean, I was there was a, a Brock Purdy versus Trey Lance, whatever the spaces on Twitter. And it had like 200 plus people into it all arguing about how they felt each quarterback was treated and which one they'd rather see. And to me, that's just one of the biggest mistakes fans make. And I could understand it because it's natural to just pick your champion and gravitate towards your champion. But it just seems there's just this complete inability to just let things play out and take it off the chin and just let it happen in a way to where, you don't have to be disappointed if the result isn't what you think it is or if you think things should be done differently. People just become so passionate about who their favorite quarterback is that they become like defined by it. There's people out there. I saw comments that just legitimately looked, seemed just so upset that Brock was getting all the first team reps and Trey Lance and Sam Darnold were splitting the second team reps and that's not fair. And it's, and, and it's not that it's just saying that's not fair. It's that they just seem so upset about the fact that, I mean, I was watching uh, guy Haberman do his post-practice update, uh, trying to get guy Haberman on the show, by the way. So if you are a striking gold listener, that just happens to be hanging out when, uh, when guy and or John is live. Mostly, probably save it for when for when just Kai's live because I don't want to bug the both of them with it. But if you are a striking gold listener and you just happen to be in there, tell tell Kai say hey, get on the show with Rob. Um, but he was doing a live today and just kept <laughs> kept prefacing with like every bit of information he would put out about either quarterback. He'd say, "Now don't get offended, don't you know, don't overreact." Like it's everybody just has to tiptoe around every single comment about a quarterback because 
people are just so wrapped up in it. It's there's, I don't know. It's like, I'm not like I'm disappointed because it's what I expect, but to me that you're just leaving so much enjoyment on the table by just completely attaching yourself to what's probably 30% of the whole situation. So if you hear about the other 70%, you're like upset that it's not about your 30%. Does that make sense? So if you're listening and you're open to my opinion, try to just take a step back from the quarterback competition and maybe your expectations, wants, desires, needs, and just let it happen. See how it goes. You know, like the amount of overreactions to what was today, which is Brock Purdy's first day back since the NFC championship game where he injured his throwing elbow. Today was Purdy's first day back throwing in a live practice. He did not partake in any of the offseason program up until now. And even still, the overreactions were insane that he didn't have a great day. None of the quarterbacks did, by the way. We'll get to that. But it's just like the context behind this. Like, man, this is his first day back. He's playing in both 7-on-7 and 11-on-11 uh, he's got to adjust to this, readjust to the speed of the game, and even still, he's this is his second year as a quarterback. Yeah, he was great last year for the 49ers coming in for an injured Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo. Redefined almost what that offense could be, not necessarily in the fact that he's like a dual threat athlete, athlete or anything, but the amount of points the 49ers were scoring per game with. Brock Purdy increased substantially. So he kind of redefined what that offense was capable of and gets injured. And this is his first practice back. And people are still up in arms about the fact that he he could struggle whatsoever. And, and then obviously on the good side of things, which is what people should have been focused on, if you're asking me. Uh, the focus was on the fact that he struggled. Any quarterback coming back for the first time in – you know, six months to throw against competition for the first time with the receivers that he needs to reacclimate with. Anybody's going to struggle in that, you know, and it's thankfully Trey Lance was, was had the, was able to kind of ease into that after his ankle injury, he had the off season program. He was uh, mostly the guy at that point. So Bertie's getting thrown into the fire a little bit more. And the, the focus should have been on the fact that, Purdy threw a couple deep balls that apparently traveled around 50 yards. He overthrew both the targets, Juwan Jennings and Debo Samuel. But, I mean, the fact that he just reared back and threw it 50 yards and overthrew the target and didn't underthrow him is, you know, that that's that's good. That's good. It's not the whole story, but it's good. Um, and if And if you're listening to me right now, just getting, uh, like, irritated that, Anybody could possibly say anything good about what was apparently a bad practice for Purdy. You're just you're so involved in your opinion that you're missing the entire point. It's just the fact that this is his he's back for the first time in in I mean, I guess we're saying I mean how NFC championship game was what, like late January? So we've got all of February, all of March, all of May, all of June, all of July. And, you know, so five months, his first time in live competition. So the fact that he's out there is a great step in the right direction. Um, Hopefully he comes around. That being said, all the quarterbacks struggle today, and defense always comes out firing at the start of training camp. Always. Defense is just – and on that note, I think I've been to – I lost count. I think I've been to about – that was not a flex. <laughs> it's just me being genuine. I think I've been to five training camps in a row. The defense always dominates at the start and always dominates as a whole. Like if you were keeping score, I would say out of every 10 practice, the defense dominates six of them. Uh, you know, every now and then the offense does what they need to do. But as far as a unit goes, that defense is one of the best in the NFL, if not the best. And all of these quarterbacks and these offensive groups have to go against that unit every time. And so the fact that Brock Purdy struggled is not a surprise just based on his whole scenario. The fact that the other quarterbacks are struggling is not a surprise just based on the way training camp has gone up until this point. Telling you, nothing to worry about. Jimmy Garoppolo was a horrible practice player. Threw five interceptions in a row at one point. Um, Trey Lance had his ups and downs last offseason. 
it's just not something to worry about. It's it, this is the growing process of the 49ers offense having to go against an elite defense that kind of knows what they're doing. So try not to overreact to any of this news. Brock Purdy said in his press conference, you know, there was some rust. I've still got to knock off. I didn't get any reps in OTAs or anything like that with 11 on 11 or seven on sevens, just the pace of the game, seeing a different defense going through reads. Today was a good day to get out there, go through some reads and stuff and let it rip. And that was all it was. It was a day to get out there. Get, you start getting used to everything that's going on there and just let it rip. And by all accounts and purposes, uh, he let it rip, look good. All the videos you can see and uh, on all the reports you can read don't have Purdy showing any any noticeable difference in arm strength. He was asked in the press conference, you know, are you sore? Do you expect to be sore? Um, is that why you're doing the two days on, one day off thing? And he was like, I, I don't expect to experience any soreness. Uh, because what a lot of people don't realize is the last two months of Purdy's recovery was dedicated towards throwing the foot, not recovering from the injury per se, but throwing the football and ramping up to what he's doing now. So what he's doing now, he's been doing. He probably threw the ball less times today than he's done in, in, in some of these ramp up days. So Purdy doesn't expect there to be any soreness or any, drawbacks. He said as much himself that he wasn't experiencing any downsides after his surgery. He's worked his way up to this point. So Purdy's ready to go. The 49ers are just being careful with him. And that's why he's doing the two days on one day off thing, which essentially means if I'm reading this right, if the 49ers do three days and one day off, then both then the first two days will always feature Purdy. Then the last day won't. And then the team will get a day off. And then we'll be back in the same rotation. So there's just not a lot to be concerned about in terms of Purdy and the injury. He's fully recovered. He's worked his way up to this point so that there won't be any drawbacks moving forward. Again, just to reiterate on what the reports are coming out of camp, just to I, I've, I've, I listened to Guy Haberman. I watched and listened to Grant Cohn. Um, I listened to Matt Mayoko. Um, who else did I read? Uh, Nick Wagner, ESPN. I, I just wanted to make sure I got plenty of angles from every side because having been at camp and I will be at camp here shortly, a little bit of news for you. Everybody has a different view. Everybody, I mean, even literally everybody's standing at a different part of the field. Really while this works is um, the media, some media like to stand behind the offense and watch plays unfold. Some media like to stand, which is what I like to do. I like to stand towards the back of the defense down that sideline. Obviously you can't stand on the field, uh, and watch the plays as if they were coming towards me. Um, it's really hard to watch them right along the sideline because that's where all the players stand. So you're always kind of moving yourself to one side or the other. So when you read reports on practice, you got to understand that they're even coming from just straight up different points of view in, in every sense of the word. So um, I try to read a lot of different opinions. If I'm not there to see it, I try to read many different opinions. The general consensus was that the quarterback struggled um, in seven, in 11 on 11s. Brock Purdy completed two passes. Trey Lance completed two passes and Sam Darnold completed two passes. I think it was like two out of 12, two out of nine, two out of nine, something like that. Not good, no matter what second number you want to be on there. Um, Brock Purdy threw an interception to uh, to Sean Gibson, where he was kind of reading the playoff to his left, snapped to the right, and just went to his excuse me his checkdown option. And to Sean Gibson was already covering the checkdown option and read the play the entire time, jumped in front of it, picked it off, and what would have been a a pick six. So welcome back, Purdy. Um, Trey Lance had, I believe you can see it on the 49ers highlights. Trey Lance had what was close to being an interception thrown over the middle on a crosser. Can't remember who the receiver was. It was tipped by McCrary ball, I believe linebacker, and then bounced off the hands of cornerback, uh, Sam Womack. So, and just remember me and Crocker used to joke about this all the time. Every play that the offense doesn't make is the defense making a play. You know, I, I understand that offense is exciting and sexy. It's fun. It's what everybody wants to see. But keep in mind that let's let's take the inverse. Maybe the the offense is just throttling the defense. Then what? It, what's you know what do you think the the narrative or the reaction is going to be? 
oh, the 49ers are going to struggle on defense because that offense is just having their way with them. You know what I mean? So every play that the offense doesn't make is a play that the defense did make. It, we used to, me and Crocker used to always laugh at the fact that, you know, offense at many camps and off the offense would take a deep shot down the sideline and then it would get broken up by the corner and the crowd would go, oh, and the corners out there celebrating, you know, obviously waving the pass off. The defense is coming up to dap them up and the fans are like, oh, like not even excited about the fact that the defense made a play. And, you know, it's it's almost unfair to them that the praise that should go to the defense is translated instead to disappointment in the offense. So that's kind of like the the funny things you realize when you go to these camps and the way things are viewed. But 50% of this team, and it depends on who you talk to and their philosophy, I think a lot of coaches and players would say, at this point, I'd rather the defense be firing all cylinders. They're still what kind of defines this team in a way. You know, obviously – the, the offense has tons of talent, too, and I expect the offense to be great. But if you had to know that one unit was really all about it, wouldn't you kind of want it to be the defense? You know, considering the, the 49ers identity over the last like 10 years, it's I, I hope you hopefully you get where I'm coming from in that regard. So defense is firing on all cylinders. Um Kind of one of the complaints, I believe I heard it from a couple people, is uh, one was on Guy Haberman, one was on Grant Cohn. It's, it's just kind of the the weirdness that Brandon Allen, who as of now is the four-string quarterback, is getting just as many reps as both Sam Darnold and Trey Lance, which does seem a little weird. Guy Haberman brought up the fact that it does seem like there's one too many quarterbacks. Um, at the very least, the reps are being spread just a little too thin. That might be something that the 49ers are picking up on, or it's not. Um, we'll see adjustments are obviously going to be made, made if the offense continues to struggle like it did today. But for the most part, it seems like Kyle Shanahan's really trying to give each one of these quarterbacks a chance to gain some experience and show their quality because the 49ers used four quarterbacks last year. Trey Lance broke his, broke his ankle. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt too. Brock Purdy got hurt too, and then uh, Josh Johnson comes in. So, I mean, as wild as it would be to necessarily prepare for that scenario, given how unre- unco- un- unbelievably uncommon what happened to the 49ers last season is, um, maybe that's where Kyle Shanahan's coming from. Look, I needed four quarterbacks last year. I'm trying to give these four quarterbacks some reps. Is that exactly what the fans want to see in terms of a, a winner uh, distinguishing themselves from this competition? Probably not. But that's the way it is for now. And Kyle Shanahan is as stubborn as they come. So for now, it is Purdy with the ones, Lance and Darnold splitting reps with like the ones and twos. And then you have Brandon Allen with the threes. I believe that's how it was outlined by ESPN's Nick Wagoner. I think it's funny that they, that Twitter changed the name to X, but there's no sign of an X logo on like the main page. And then it's still twitter.com. I was reading a story about how the dude, there was a guy on Twitter that had the handle X at X. And apparently they just jacked it. Like they just were like, we'll take this. <laughs> so, um, it's, that's pretty funny. Anyways, that's, that's way off topic. Some of the things I highlighted on here in terms of last thing I'll say about the quarterbacks really is some of the comments I'm reading on social media. And that's kind of a thing you learn in, in, the, in the media side of things, writing side of things is never read the comments. But I'm also on Twitter, so I'm always just perusing, looking around. Some of the things people are saying like, oh, well, let's see if they go as hard on Purdy as they went on Lance when he returned from injury. Well, Lance kind of returned from injury during the offseason, and I don't remember anybody going hard on him at least not to the point where it stood out. I don't really, I don't really, there's only a, I'm being completely real with you here. There's only a couple people in the entire media room 
that I could see trying to spin this competition in one way or another. And you could probably guess who they both are. I'm not saying anything. You could probably just know who they are. Everybody else has absolutely no skin in the game in terms of which which quarterback wins this competition. They don't care. I don't care. It's all interesting. It's all great to write about. It's all great content. It's all interesting. If Trey Lance's hair just lit on fire and he just started making Brock Purdy look silly and Shanahan started giving him equal reps to Purdy and now we're going into preseason, late preseason with an equal competition, like there's nobody in that media room. Can't say nobody because of what I said earlier. 90% of that media room, 95% of that media room is not going to care. They're going to enjoy the fact that this is just interesting things to write about. So when I see people comment like 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 the like the 49ers media room has some sort of agenda on who wins this quarterback competition, I could promise you just from my experience that that is not the case. Pretty much all of these guys and girls are too professional for that. They just want to do a good job and they don't have any they don't have their their hat in either corner. So it's just, I mean, Matt Mayoko is one of the most neutral people I've ever met in my life. Like in anything, the guy is just an absolute pro and insinuating that somebody like that would have some sort of reason to pick one or the other. It's just, it's doing them a disservice. And I'm just here to tell you, you can believe what you want hundred percent, but I've met the people in that room and they're just not like that. It's just really not the case. But again, there's a couple that you could expect to author that kind of coverage and I'll let you figure that out on your own. You know, I'll leave there. I have some other silly comments on here. I'm going to leave them be. I don't think we need to go that route. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just do your thing. Y'all get me. You don't need me to ramble on. So as I was just saying, one of my notes right here, I I really have already said what I need to say on this, but one of my, my notes says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So remember for every struggle you read about that offense, it's spurred by a, a play by the defense. So allow that to amp yourself up a little bit. Like, yeah, maybe you wish that pass was completed that deep shot to Debo Samuel. But at the same time, Traverius Ward's covering was covering them on both plays per Grant. So if that's the case, then your mind goes to, oh man, why is Ward getting beat? That would be a bad news. You know, Fortnite quarterbacks need him. It's it goes both ways. Now apparently Ward they both of them did get open. So we could still think about that. But it's just just remember, most of the time the offense is making a mistake. It's because the defense is doing their damn job. So for every action comes an equal and opposite reaction. 
Brandon Ayuk continues to, dom- to dominate camp. Um, you've seen it on the highlight videos that 49ers have been posting. You've seen it reported by many outlets. It just doesn't surprise me. I was there for all of camp last year, and Ayuk was dominating camp. And I can guarantee you it looks exactly the same this camp. Nobody can cover the guy, and when he is covered, he still finds a way to make plays. Haberman was talking about the fact that all the quarterbacks, maybe to a fault, have now started to use Brandon Ayuk as their safety valve. If someone's not open, something's gone wrong, where's Ayuk? I'm going to throw it out there to him. And he has become that receiver for this offense. And again, not patting myself on the shoulder either way because it took zero detective work to make these claims to begin with. But I really feel like Ayuk is 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 stepping forward as the man through the air in this offense. I do feel like the 49ers should think long and hard about how far they're willing to go to keep him in this offense because one, another team is going to be willing to pay him a lot of money. And if that team has a competent quarterback and kind of a offense that's a little more centered on the passing game, you can be a 1,500-yard receiver in this league. Bleed at. Big trust. I watched the uh, – I know that was random, but I watched the uh, the Mark Ingram introducing Lamar Jackson video again. The MVP frontrunner. If anybody's got a problem with that, they could come see me. I'm about that. Big trust. Lamar Jackson in the flesh. It. I mean, that wasn't a perfect recreation, but if you haven't seen that video, look up. Mark Ingram introduces Lamar Jackson. It is so funny. He just puts his eyes on the on the uh, on the camera. Anybody got a problem with that? You could come see me. I'm about that. Like it's so funny. It's it, it is just perfectly done. And then after he kind of yields the quarterback to him, he says "big trust" again, and it's just like the way he says it with like some vibrato, some trust, and it's like it is so funny. If you haven't seen it, get a good laugh. It's 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 very. I know it's random. Anyways, back to Ayuk. Dominating camp by all reports. Two days in, but trust me, it's going to continue. Um, nobody can cover him. George Kittle had some uh, big words to say that basically once Ayuk really honed his focus on just how detailed of a route runner and, and as a kind of tactician you need to be in this offense, he just said he started to come alive. And now he realizes that he doesn't need to do crazy things to get open. Anything more to get open than he, than he needs to because this offense is going to help him with do that as well. Now you're combining his elite route running with Kyle Shanahan's offense, and he's just open all the time. The offense, I mean, the defense in camp knows that there's probably a 50% shot in any given moment that the ball is going to be thrown to Brandon Ayuk, and he's still making these plays. He's a special player, and to see him continually show up after apparently being in the doghouse, um, and that's been referenced by, by many people. Kind of just confirming that that was the case. For him to go from that to like, oh boy, here he comes is is impressive. It's fun to watch. That man is uh is a special receiver. He's extremely talented, and hopefully the 49ers, you know, after what I'm assuming is going to be a massive season. I know that these there's there's a lot of targets to go to be spread around between the 49ers talent, but Brandon Ayuk offers that offense a little a little different. Something a little different compared to all the other pass catchers. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, and it looks like him and Debo Samuel are both. Debo Samuel reportedly, apparently, um, you know, especially via Shanahan's receiving shirtless pictures. Um, Debo Samuel looks to be in the best shape of his kind of tenure with the 49ers. He referenced not 2021 when he had his massive year, but he referenced 2019. Like He felt like he was in the best shape he's been in since 2019. And uh, that's a scary prospect. You've got a, a Brandon Ayuk who's really coming into his own, in my opinion, as a wide receiver one in the NFL, a top 10 wideout. And then you've got Debo Samuel, who's kind of already earned that cred. He has a down year. But if both of them are firing all, all cylinders, then whoever's at quarterback just better have their head screwed on, shape, on straight because if he can hit those targets, this offense is going to be exploding. So expected but still exciting to see Ayuk's um, performance so far. I mean, just watch the 49ers highlight videos that they put out over the past couple of days. 
it's it's a lot of 11. It's a lot of 11. The kicker battle continues. The kicker battle continues. It was a Jake Moody day. He was four for four, perfect four, 400% from 33, 38, 38, and 51. Um, read that from Nick Wagner and Matt Mayoko. Uh, Zane Gonzalez was good and 40 from 41 and 43. And like we talked about, I believe it was the last pod, Robbie Gould wanted to come back. He said he wanted to come back. They just didn't receive an offer. Doesn't, isn't altogether, un, it isn't altogether that surprising from a 49ers perspective, just because they're going to be so tight against the cap and against the cap. So it doesn't surprise me that they're willing to let go of a kicker that was probably going to make in the neighborhood three, four, maybe five million. I'm not sure, but good day for uh, Jake Moody. I believe from um, Haberman said that tomorrow is like the day where Moody will be the solo kicker. So keep an eye out for if, uh, if kicker news is your thing and keep an eye out for tomorrow to see what exactly is going to go on on the Moody Sweet Snapes? I need to think of a. We need to think of a nickname for Jake Moody. I mean, Moody is so easy. We need to ring up Kyle Madsen over at Candlestick Chronicles for this because he's so good with with words and names. But you got to come up with a nickname for Jake Moody. I mean, that should be easy given what his name is. But I've got nothing right off the bat. I mean, I had I had football practice today. It's 105 degrees here. I come home pretty pretty baked. You know what I mean? And the fact that I'm just, I've been cooked. I'm out of energy. I did eat dinner, so I'm holding in there. My last bit of energy is going to uh, all of y'all on the Strike and Gold podcast. So I love you. Another solid development that we've seen consistently reported over the first two days of camp is Drake Jackson. And apparently showed up to the office. Kyle Shanahan said Drake Jackson never left after they lost in the NFC championship game, um, stayed at the facility, uh, worked on his body, worked out, has, has by all intents and purposes transformed himself. Um, when he showed up as a rookie, you could tell he was a big dude. He was an athlete. The guy was flipping all over the place. But he still had some weight that you don't necessarily want to see on a player. It's it's hard to describe football players because you've got offensive linemen that are walking around carrying 320 pounds of weight. But you can always tell why that weight is there. You know, for an offensive lineman, it's there because they have to balance power and weight. They have to be able to withstand, you know, they're like a massive rock that has to be able to be able to withstand the wave of a pass rush or use that weight to drive someone out of the way. You know why they have that weight. Drake Jackson, on the other hand, in the position you knew he was going to play and the way the 49ers were going to use him, he had some weight you didn't necessarily want to see. You could tell it was just useless weight not quite in, in in perfect shape type weight. Now, I'm not comparing him to Nick Bosa because that's not fair. Um, that guy looks like an action figure. But you could tell that he just had some work to do, and apparently he has done that work, looks great, and over the first couple of days has performed well. And the 49ers need him. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. Um, maybe that is a good transition to, our, to continue to break down the roster because um, we took a pause on the roster breakdown last episode just to talk about the news that came out of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan's press conference. Um, but we need to get back into positional breakdowns. We've got a couple more days of it left. And uh, the 49ers defensive front is next on our positional breakdown. So let's just let's just jump into it. Uh, we'll lead off with Drake Jackson, just because we're already talking about him. I mean, it's obvious what the 49ers are going to need from him. Uh, last year, he uh, he flashed. He was He was... He was on the team for 15 games. He never started a game. And then towards the end of the season, he started to become inactive, which I'm not sure how that factors into uh, pro football references, like game stats. Maybe that's just the fact that he was present at 15 games. But towards the end of the season, he started to find himself on the inactive list. Um, the 40, uh, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan both said he was just kind of, um, dying out, struggling, getting a little tired, you know, wasn't necessarily in the shape he needed to be in. I mean, think of how much longer an NFL season is. What is it? Three, four, four games longer, just at a, uh, you know, at its core. And then the 49ers pushed into the playoffs. So, um, not necessarily a surprise, but not necessarily something you want to see from the 49ers first pick of that draft class late in the second round. 
Um, Jackson ended up finishing with 14 total tackles, three tackles for loss, six quarterback hits, and three sacks. When he was flashing, it looked good, and it looked like the 49ers might have found a role player opposite Nick Bosa because that's what they need. Somebody opposite Nick Bosa has to step up. They need pressure coming from both sides. They don't want offenses to feel like they can just focus their efforts on one side, do everything opposite Nick Bosa, swing all the blocking angles towards Nick Bosa and ignore the other guy. They can't have that. So they've got, they really need Drake Jackson to come into his own. And by all accounts, he's done everything he can up until this point to do that in terms of taking care of his body, getting in better shape, putting on more muscle weight. It's uh, It'll be interesting to see how Drake Jackson does. Moving on to some of the other defensive line, you've got the usual starters. You've got Nick Bosa, who is currently um, on the did not report list. I know it sounds worse than it is, but again, even Eric Armstead said that he's not worried about Nick Bosa. He knows the two sides are going to work on it. It's not a situation where you just take whatever Nick Bosa says, here's what I want, and you just sign it. Like, yes, he is that good, and you don't let a guy like that walk out the building, but the two sides are working on numbers. You're talking about massive, massive amounts of guaranteed money, hundreds, over $100 million. So they're working through that. And John Lynch said in his press conference that this team always plans three years out. So whatever they're doing with Nick Bosa right now, they have to to kind of check that against their three-year plan to see how it's going to affect everything they have planned out. So again, don't I wouldn't be concerned about the contract negotiations and the fact that he's not there. I think the pads go on either Sunday or Monday. That seems kind of like an informal um, deadline to make this happen. But even if it's not by that time, I just don't think it's a massive deal. Everybody on earth expects the 49ers to get it done with Nick Bosa. It just might take some time given how massive the deal is. Uh, I think he's going to be the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. I think he's going to outshine his brother's contract by quite a bit. Um, by you know, by all accounts, he is the better Bosa. So uh, Nick Bosa, you everybody knows exactly what to expect from him, even the coaching staff. I mean, the defensive player of the year last year, 18 and a half sacks last year, 15 and a half sacks the year before, um, you know, 40 total tackles for loss between those two years, a whopping 48 quarterback hits this season. If you combine that with last season, he's at 80 quarterback hits over two years. The guy is just, oh, like he's just, he's football royalty, man. And the 49ers are going to pay him like that. But in the meantime, um, don't don't beat yourself up over the fact that Nick Bosa's not there. One, the guy keeps himself in phenomenal shape. And two, they're just working out the fact that this is, uh, you know, a, a massive, massive contract. It just takes some time to get right. You got Eric Armstead, who is now the longest tenured member of the 49ers now that Jimmy Ward has left for the Texans. Came onto the team in 2015. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This is his ninth year with the team. And his first year started 16 games. Then he had a couple years where he had uh, season-ending injuries. Played eight games in 16 and six games in 17. And a, pe- a lot of people were down on him. And, and the fact that and even when they first drafted him, I wasn't a huge fan of the pick. I just thought it was a little forced. But happily wrong in terms of what Eric Armstead has developed into. 16 games in 2018. 16 games in 2019. 16 games in 2020, 17 games in 2021. Only played in nine games last season, working his way back from injury. But um, for the most part, has has really brought it together in terms of the player he is. Really considered one of the elite defensive linemen in the NFL. Um, Performs pretty well against the run and the pass. So everybody kind of knows what to expect from him too. I mean, between Drake Jackson, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, and then a couple other guys we're going to talk about. You've really got the the makings of an elite defensive front that we're all used to. The big question mark to me still is uh, Javon Kinlaw, who might be starting next to Eric Armstead, might not be. I mean, he was he started twelve games as a rookie, didn't really do anything. You know, he had a couple flash plays here and there, a sack and a half, thirty three tackles, um, three tackles for loss, four quarterback hits. Uh, did have a, a few passive breaks up, getting his hands up into the air. But over the last two years, he's only been present for a total of 10 games. And he, over those two years, he has zero sacks. 
uh, about 12 tackles, nothing really to be shown. And I said this last year, it ended up being pretty much a nothing burger. And the 49ers did not pick up Javon Kinlaw's fifth year option. So that kind of tells you where they're at on him. Big year for Javon Kinlaw. And maybe it, it 2023 means he signs a modest extension with the 49ers or re-ups in some way. Or another team is willing to give him some money to, to stay in the league. But he hasn't shown anything yet. Not Not enough to justify keeping him around for any team. So big year for him. And the 49ers are going to need him. He's the healthiest he's ever been per his coaching staff. And uh, we'll see if that equates to results. So far it has not. But, you know, this, this is as good a year as, as any for him. Uh, Cleveland Farrell signed from the Raiders, former Raiders first round pick. Uh, where was he drafted? He was like top five, wasn't he? Fourth overall in the 2019 NFL draft. Same year as Nick Bosa. The Raiders tried to trade up and get Nick Bosa. John Lynch was like, <laughs> nah, man. And uh, now the 49ers have got him on the squad as well. Never really materialized into anything close to what the Raiders were hoping it was going to be. It was always kind of considered a reach. 10 sacks in four years, 105 tackles, has definitely played in games. 15 games as a rookie, 11 in 2020, six in, uh, 16 in 2021, just didn't start any of them. And then he was back to, so for the most part, it was 15, 11, 16, and 16. Can Cleveland Farrell develop with the 49ers into somebody that can rotate with Drake Jackson opposite Nick Bosa or spell Nick Bosa from time to time and have an impact. You know, he's going to have fresh legs because he's not going to be the the starter that they rely on. So maybe that can have some benefits for him. Obviously he's working with defensive line coach, Nick, uh, Chris Kacarek, who has worked wonders with players in the past, um, essentially spends one or two years with, with players who were kind of given up on and then they end up signing with other teams. So uh, we'll see what uh, what Chris Casera can do with uh, Cleveland Farrell um, that the Raiders could not. Gary Hyder came back from the Seahawks. I mean, he was on the team last year, played 16 games, was just kind of present. A rotational force, did have a sack, 19 total tackles, um, four quarterback hits, a tackle for loss. So he's just kind of a rotational player, and that's where the 49ers, that's what the 49ers need him to be, and guys like Cleveland Farrell. It's it's just a matter of coming at offenses in waves. That's what you want. Now, you've got your studs. You've got your thoroughbreds. You've got your Nick Bosa's, Eric Armstead's, uh, Javon Kinlaw, who, or not Javon Kinlaw, excuse me. Um, hold on. Drawing a blank. But I have, to, I have to give you guys. Javon Hargrave, excuse me. Story, a quick little story about Javon Hargrave. It's not even a story. I don't know why I'm churching it up. In today's press conferences, it went from Trent Williams to Javon Hargrave, both substantial men, you know, offensive and defensive line. Find the 49ers YouTube video where it's basically a wrap-up of all three of those players. I believe it was Brock Purdy, Trent Williams, and what was the last one? I can't remember. Oh, Javon Hargrave. It goes from the cut from Trent Williams to Javon Hargrave is hilarious. It, it will illustrate to you just how massive of a man. I might post it on Twitter tomorrow. Um, it will illustrate to you just how massive of a man Trent Williams is because he makes the 6'2", 305-pound Javon Hargrave look tiny. And obviously, he's not tiny. But Trent Williams, that will sh- illustrate the true size of Trent Williams because you have to watch it. The video just cuts from Trent Williams walking off to Javon Hargrave being there, and it is like, damn, that was a transformation. Trent Williams is huge. And like I said, Battle Royale, hand-to-hand combat, Trent Williams is the winner out of every player in the NFL. Yes, even Nick Bosa that looks like an action figure. So Javon Hargrave, obviously another huge piece of this formula, going to be a massive addition, just a guy that really kind of like is going to be just another gear for the 49ers defense. You know, you know, you're talking about going from a, a five to a six speed. He's just going to add more tenacity, more pressure, 
He's 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 better in the in the passing game than he is in the run game, but it's just one more stud on that defensive line to throw at him. I mean, last year he was one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. Um, had 11 sacks, 60 total tackles, 10 tackles for loss, 16 quarterback hits. Um, did he force any fumbles? He recovered two of them, fum- forced one of them, blocked two passes. I mean, you're adding essentially what was the top free agent in the NFL last year. The 49ers added them to their defense. So you're looking at a defensive front with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, um, some kind of rotation that involves Javon Kinlaw. Um, you've got Javon Hargrave, you've got Drake Jackson and everybody else that they're going to be throwing them away is we'll, we'll get some of those other names, but I mean, that is a lot of gas to just randomly add to one of the league's best defenses. So I'm looking forward to seeing how those two operate. Uh, I'm hope I'm thinking that Hargrave and Bosa are going to have some nasty stunts to come at these offenses with. Um, let's break down the rest of the roster. I'm just going to go through the names that I haven't talked about yet. You've got Alex Barrett, been with the team a couple years out of San Diego State. Robert Beal Jr., the rookie out of Georgia. Looking forward to hearing more about him. 6'4", 250. Coaches said, I mean, just man, just let this guy come screaming off the edge, please. And um, we'll see if the 49ers give him a chance to do that. It's it's He's not a guarantee to make the roster, especially on this group. You've got Austin Bryant, who they signed in free agency. Uh, let me bring up his... Um, stat page real quick because I just think like he's somebody that could kind of sneak into a it's a weird dynamic he could make the team or he could not make the team I mean that's obvious but it's like when he was signed it was it was sort of like he was signed to be a significant role player in the defense I know I'm kind of catching up slipping up in my own words but it's like his best season was he's been in the NFL for four years his only sack came in 2021, and he got four and a half of them. That was far and away his best season. He played in 14 games. Then he played in nine last year, six the year before that, four in his rookie year. Never quite caught on. Um, well, definitely not a guarantee of the roster, but could be somebody, again, the Chris Kosarek effect, that just develops into a role for the 49ers. But first, he's got to make the team, which is not a guarantee. Uh, Marlon Davidson. Khalid, Khalid Davis out of Central Florida um, didn't participate in his rookie year, tore his ACL in 2022, uh, excuse me, 2021. Um, the 49ers basically gave him the year off, and now he's coming back. Haven't heard anything about him yet, but I'm interested to see what the word is on uh, Khalid Davis once he gets the pads on. 6'2", 310 pounds, somebody that could kind of possibly fill that DJ Jones role, same kind of body type. Shorter, stockier, more compact. We'll see what he brings to the table. Kevin Givens, another player that's been on the 49ers for the past four years. Um, just one of those guys that's just a solid rotational player. Going to have to work his way onto this roster. Not a guarantee. There's a, we've we've gone through a lot of names that have a shot to make this team. So um, we'll see if Kevin Givens can make it again. Um, and then last but not least is Daryl Johnson and Spencer Wage. We'll see. Rookie out of North Dakota State. Signed a little bit later on in uh, the offseason. And then you've got a veteran um, in Daryl Johnson, somebody that can just round that group out. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It's You've got your guys that you expect to make the team, and you've got a couple of spots. They usually keep about ten to, 9 to 10 defensive linemen. So if you're looking at this list, I'm going to count them off in my head of kind of like the guarantees that you know are making it. Um, Nick Bosa, obviously. Leland Farrell, I'm going to put that finger back down. Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, Drake Jackson. Let me look in here, see who else do I do I need to put in there. Okay, so let's start adding the ones we kind of expect to make it. Robert Beal, just drafted him, that's five. Kyle Davis, you'd think this would be their moment to give him a shot. Six, Cleveland Farrell, that's seven. Kevin Gibbons, let's go eight. Are we are we including Kerry Hyder Jr. in there? Nine. Okay, so we're right there. So there's a few names that that are are going to have to work to make this team, and that's how this shit works, especially when it's a talented roster. Expectations for a defensive line moving forward are are good. 
I think that they will be as good as they were last year. They did lose some talent. Charles Omenehu um, was kind of a bigger player for them and ended up rounding into that role the same. And they traded for him and ended up signing a bigger contract. So um, Sam Sunebukam, another solid edge rusher that just kind of went a little underrated in the fact that he was a constant contributor and was able to hold that spot down opposite Nick Bosa. Didn't really necessarily rise up to any any occasion per se, but he was solid. And that's what the 49ers need is someone to be solid, albeit a little bit better, uh, to actually earn their place on the opposite side. So we'll see. Tons of talent, tons of effectiveness. Don't worry about Nick Bosa. He's going to be back out there. And uh, we'll see what this group can, can, uh, can do. So far, they seem to have the edge on the offensive line. That's for sure. Uh, when the pads come on, will that change? We'll see. We'll see. Um, so like I briefly mentioned earlier, I believe my next podcast will come from Santa Clara from the 49ers media room. They've got a little closet that I like to sneak off back to and record a pod. It's real kind of a soundproof room. Um, so I should be reporting to training camp. I, I may only be there for one or two practices, but no matter what, if I'm out of practice, I will be recording right after the practice. So you will have a pod hopefully by that uh, the afternoon, evening. Uh, breaking down what I saw in that practice. So some good news for you. My next pod should be coming from uh, Santa Clara so I can break down a practice for you guys. Uh, Not from the fans, not from the stands, from the sideline. And I will try to get every ounce of information I can get for you and bring it to you straight like you know I will. Um, Trying to aim for the first day in pads. We'll see. All right, everybody. That's it. Appreciate y'all. Hope you enjoyed a... uh, a two-episode week. We're going to try and make that the standard moving forward throughout uh, training camp and throughout the season. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you are still listening, thank you for being here. Thank you for contributing to uh, our success. I say our because obviously it's just me on here for now, but you guys are a part of this crew too, especially when we bring when we bring the mailbag back. So uh, I appreciate y'all. Thank you for listening to Strike and Gold. But as everybody knows, all good things must come to an end. I'll be back on here early next week for whichever practice I go to. Before and after episode, I'm Rob. This is Striking Gold, and we are signing out. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.